You know, my husband had his job, he was working, I had my job, we were in the process of recovering from the shock of having twins, and that was when the 2016 election happened. And we were sitting there on this rug and watching the election returns, and I realized what was going to happen. And I just looked at them and thought about their future, and I thought about the world they're going to grow up in, and I decided I had to do something. Welcome to Range, stories of the new American West. I'm Amy Westervelt. That was Regina Bateson you heard from in the intro. She's one of three women running against Congressman Tom McClintock for a congressional seat this year. The primary in District 4 in California is coming up next week, June 5th. And Bateson, Jessica Morse, and Rosa Calderon are three women all under the age of 40, all Democrats, all first-time candidates that are running against each other to try to challenge McClintock in November. I've seen all three of them speak, and they're all pretty compelling. And they also kind of represent a microcosm of what's happening in the Democratic Party right now that I find interesting. You've got Rosa Calderon, who's a justice Democrat, super progressive, and very much sort of an advocate for the working class. Then you've got Jessica Morse, who's slightly less left than Calderon. In fact, she comes from a fairly Republican family. She markets herself and has been sort of understood as being slightly left of Bateson, who regularly talks about being a moderate, being pragmatic, and trying to swing a lot of the independent and moderate Republicans in the district her way. So you've got kind of this local setup of the national strategy debate between centrist Democrats, progressives, moderates, this idea of pragmatism versus vision, of politics versus passion. It's all kind of playing out in my backyard. And meanwhile, once any one of them gets past this primary, they've got a big challenger in McClintock. After narrowly winning his first race about 10 years ago by 1% of the vote, he has handily won every race since. Trump took this district by over 70%. Yes, California. There are Republicans here. Uh, McClintock is not unpopular. He has some fans in the state of Jefferson, a group that wants to take part of Southern Oregon and part of Northern California and create a new state with two conservative senators. He wins big with anti-immigration people. He's a climate denier, which goes over well with a lot of the rural folks who think that any kind of talk about climate change is just an excuse to regulate what they're doing. And the Republicans have a significant lead over Democrats on voter registration in the district. This race is the first time the DNC has invested in the district in about a decade. They haven't seen a point in previous races. It's just been so obvious that McClintock is going to win that they don't want to waste their money. This year, Morse and Bateson both out-fundraised McClintock in their first quarter out, and that attracted some DCCC money. That's the campaign arm of the Congressional Democrats. Here's Jessica Morse explaining how the whole fundraising attention thing works. Yeah, the DCCC, they gave me this fundraising goal. They said, well, your message sounds great. You sound like a great candidate, but uh, don't call us unless you can raise a quarter of a million in your first quarter out. And I said, uh, okay. And and so we raised 268000 And what was exciting is, you know, it came, you know, I come from a fairly large, mostly rural, uh, mostly conservative family. And, and, and so this didn't come from some internal wealth uh, 
you know, that I, having worked as a public servant for a decade, managed to amass, you know, it, um, it came from over a thousand individuals who were willing to invest. So that's interesting. And it's also kind of worrisome. If you got to get $250,000 for the Democratic Party to even look at you, what hope is there for an independent? And that's something that Rosa Calderon has come up against a lot. Here she is on the Young Turks talking about why that's a problem. We have almost 10,000 individual donors. That means 10,000 people who are behind me. But we, I'm not considered a top two candidate um, because I just do not have the hundreds of thousands of dollars that they request and they require. And it's it's kind of sad when you think that our democracy has become part of this capitalistic um, wave that unless you're going to be making money for the party that you're going to be running on, that they don't want to have anything to do with you. And that is really disheartening because they're no longer looking at the issues and the candidate and the strengths of that candidate. Bateson also outfundraised McClintock in her first quarter out, but the DCCC seems to have made Jessica Morse its favorite. And the California State Democratic Party has endorsed Morse, although that was a pretty fraught process as well. There was a lot of drama at the convention. There were some allegations of Morse staffers being aggressive about trying to convince voters not to sign various petitions around endorsing either Bateson or Calderon. And there's been a lot of infighting in local Democrat groups as well. I live in this district, and what I've noticed is that it seems to be that younger folks are skewing more towards Morse or Calderon, older folks, or even middle-aged folks are skewing more towards Bateson. I spoke with Cody Townsend, a professional skier and co-owner of Arcade Belt. He lives in Truckee, he works in Tahoe, he's worked here for a long time, and he is backing Morse because he thinks that she can appeal to young voters and to people who just haven't been voting. Engaging new people, I think, is so key. We have so many unregistered voters in Placer County and El Dorado County. We have so many people that do not vote be just because they're a transient population that is up in Placer County. So many people move to Tahoe and then settle down but never vote, never register. So I think what uh, Ms. Morse can do is really engage those new people. Morse has specifically been targeting millennials because they haven't voted in previous elections. Here she is on that. They're our second largest demographic in the district, but they only voted at a little over 50%. And so we've been doing fun things with our campaign to make a campaign a little more palatable and a little more like our community. You know, the mayor of Truckee organized a hike with the candidates and we've been doing community service campaigns. It's just it's just important to help people feel engaged. I spoke with a Regina Bates and staffer Annie Ballard about her thoughts on the candidates and what kind of drew her to Bates in the first place. And she said that she was interested in all three candidates initially, but that she felt like more seemed less experienced and maybe too young to woo voters. I just wasn't impressed that her family owns hundreds of acres here and she like those things didn't matter to me. I want to hear about policies. And she wasn't coming forth with those. And then she seemed a lot younger. And I thought, well, how is that going to play in a real race? Like I feel as a voter and also as a marketing person myself that a more mature person would... um, play better with voters. So I thought she seemed too young, even though they're the same age. Morrison Bateson are actually the same age. I believe they're both 35, although they might be 36 now. Uh, Bateson has three children and Morse has none. And I have heard some things from various folks 
off the record because no one wants to say these things into a microphone that people are holding Morse's lack of children against her and at the same time holding Bateson's young children against her because if you have young children at home, how could you possibly be starting a political career? So, you know, the usual can't win situation for women there playing out. Morse knows that she comes off as younger and she doesn't think it's a problem. I actually think that... um my my young looks will will be probably a strategic asset. Um, I think it's going to help us really win over millennials um, in a significant way, and it will probably give me a break where McClintock will underestimate me. Um, and and so, but I know what I'm made of, even though I don't look intimidating. Um, and and I'm not intimidating. I'm actually very nice. Um, but um, you know, I. I'm, I thought, you know, I, I've seen what happens when women run for office. You know, I have seen countless times where women running for office, it, it's like volunteering to get eaten by wolves and all of your good works get turned against you and, and your biggest strengths, they, people try to frame them as your weakness. And, um, and that doesn't phase me because I'm on a mission. You know, we're on a mission to serve our community. We're on a mission to change this political culture so that it's about service. And so it doesn't matter to me what people say about me or what they throw at me. I've been shot at, you know, in a war zone. If I can survive Baghdad, man, I can handle anything. And, you know, I've hiked 500 miles on the Pacific Crest Trail on my own. You know, I've hiked our entire district. I'm made of steel. And so I might come in a kind of a small package, but it it is... It is the mission that's driving it. It's the mission that is inspiring people to get on board. And, um, you know, it shouldn't matter what I look like or, or what my demographic, you know, designation is. Another thing that Annie Ballard, the Bateson staffer, told me was that she just didn't feel like Morse ever spoke specifically to policy in the ways that Regina Bateson did. Here she is explaining that a bit. I feel like Jessica Morse is very, very charismatic and does have a knack for concise slogans and taglines. And I come from a media background, and I've been very impressed with her um, way of handling a crowd and running a room and getting people really excited. But I have not ever been impressed with her statements about policy, because I think once you get to that level of policy, you really have to study and understand and know what you're doing. And Regina can um, grasp those sorts of programs that could be proposed. A lot of folks have kind of counted Rosa Calderon out of the race already because she just hasn't raised anywhere near the amount of money that Morris or Bateson have. But I don't think we can count her out just yet. I know a lot of people that really like what she has to say and who are kind of in the mood to just vote for a real progressive. Here she is on how she's been faring with people and how she views the whole money thing. I'm still leading in name recognition and I'm still leading in ballot designation, which is the profession that we put on the ballot. Um, that being said, my opponent, who was endorsed by the party here locally in California and who is being you know, just favored by the DNC, is just dropped $200,000 on media buy. So that really says quite a bit. You know, this is um, something that doesn't happen for primaries. That's the kind of money you spend for generals. But it does seem like most folks are still kind of keeping their eyes on the prize, which is booting McClintock out. Here's Cody Townsend again on that. Yeah, I think the number one thing in our district is get McClintock out um, in whatever way possible. I think they'll start to choose who they want, um, whether it's uh, Mrs. Bateson or Mrs. Uh, Morse. 
as it comes to the primary, but I feel like nine out of 10 people will get behind whatever candidate opposes McClintock. Just, uh, I think the feeling is people are becoming educated to who McClintock is. This guy's been around for this long. They were surprised by that. And then realizing like, whoa, he's a tea party, do nothing Republican. He does not represent California and CA4 at all. So I think there's just going to be a groundswell behind whatever opponent comes out of the primary. We'll see what happens on June 5th. It sounds like no matter who wins, it's going to be a pretty interesting race and definitely the first real challenge McClintock has faced in a while. So that's interesting. I know Townsend and various other folks are really determined to get a lot more people registered to vote and to really mobilize people to vote in general. And as far as I'm concerned, the more people voting, the better. That's it for this time. We'll have several new episodes for you coming up soon, focused on a whole variety of things in the West and not politics or just California, I promise. There's a rancher in Nevada who follows Old Testament rules for ranching. There's the issue of prostitution in Nevada and what's going on with that right now. It's fascinating. We'll also have an episode on the Hawaiian sovereignty movement, what it is, how it got started and what's happening with it lately. And of course, lots of other things too. If you've got an idea for an episode or feedback on this one, please shoot me a note at howdy at rangepodcast.org. And if you like range, especially if you're a longtime listener, please consider dropping us a review or a rating in the iTunes store. It really helps people find us in the increasingly crowded podcast space. Thanks a lot. See you next time. Produced by me, Amy Westervelt, and distributed by Critical Frequency. Our original music is by David Whited, and original illustrations for each episode are drawn by James Guthman. You can see those illustrations on our website, rangepodcast.org. You can follow us across all social media platforms at Range Podcast. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll see you next month.